This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Welcome to Super Age. My name is David Stewart. I am the founder of Ageist and your host on the Super Age show. We talk about how to live healthier, how to live longer, and how to be happier. And who doesn't want that? Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com slash ages, save 20% on all their products. This show is also brought to you by Element, L-M-N-T, my favorite electrolyte mix. It's what I put in my water in the morning, and it's what I put in my water at the gym. Go to drinkelement.com slash ages and receive a free eight-serving sample pack with any purchase. Today's show is also brought to you by Timeline Nutrition with their breakthrough product, MitoPure, the first clinically tested urolithin A supplement, which is showing tremendous results for mitochondrial health. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Ageist, use the code Ageist at checkout, and save 10% off your first order of MitoPure. Welcome to episode 131 of the Super Age Podcast. This will be dropping on April the 26th, 2023. This week on the show, we've got Dr. David Rabin, who's an MD PhD, University of Pittsburgh. And the reason we're having him on is him and the folks in his lab have developed this wearable, it's sort of a third generation wearable, that is essentially a mood changing device, which I have been wearing for the last six months. Now, the reason we held on to this podcast is because I really wanted to test this thing and make sure that this wearable actually did what it's supposed to do. And I have been wearing this, well, enough so that I've sort of worn the metal down on it every day, all day for the last six months. And I, I'm kind of blown away by this. Um, it's a fascinating kind of technology that helps one upregulate or downregulate based on these very subtle vibrations that come through the wearable. Um, I checked this out with the people on my scientific advisory board. I was out to dinner with one of them, and I said, hey, um, you want to check this out? And um, she's a physician. She put it on, and she said, after a few minutes, she's like, oh, my gosh, I feel so calm. This is amazing. What is this thing? Um, same thing with Dr. Michael Bruce, who's also on a scientific board. I had a conversation with him about it. Um, the thing's really amazing. Um, I'm actually wearing it right now, and I have it in focus mode, and I find that when I wear it in focus mode, I'm able to focus much better. I initially was really excited about it because it really helped with my sleep. You, as everybody knows, I'm a huge sleep fanatic. So anything that increases my sleep, I'm into. So anyway, we held on to this podcast for about six months to really verify that all this was actually working, and it does. And then we went to Apollo Neuro, and we said, listen, can, we, can you help out our listeners in some way to help them get an Apollo Neuro? And they came through, and they said... Yes. Um, if you go to checkout at Apollo Neuro, type in code AGIST and you save $40. If this is something you're interested in, I really recommend you try this. It's a super interesting thing. So go to ApolloNeuro.com and type in AGIST at checkout. Uh, we're going to leave the link in the show notes in case this is something you're interested in. You can take advantage of it. We're going to get with Dr. Dave Rabin in just a moment. I want to have a quick recap on last week's episode with uh, Brian Johnson, who is very interested in his self-optimization techniques. And if you've gone to his blueprint, you'll see, yeah, I mean, it's it, he leads a fairly extreme life. But in that podcast, it came up, I, I said, my personal bugbear is Mountain Dew. And to me, bugbear means annoyance, thing to stay away from, thing that it's like this like sort of hot button for me. Like, why, why is this stuff even allowed to be sold? <laughs> Some listeners thought that what I was saying was my personal addiction was Mountain Dew. I want to assure you, I may have tasted Mountain Dew maybe 50 years ago. I do not drink Mountain Dew. I'm not a Mountain Dew enthusiast. And I just want to be clear about that. Stay really, stay away from that stuff. It's really bad. The first sponsor of today's show is Timeline Nutrition with their breakthrough product, MitoPure. 
We all know how important mitochondrial energy is, and especially maintaining muscle and strength as we age. Urolithin A, which is found in MitoPure, has been clinically proven to increase muscle strength and endurance with no other changes in lifestyle. Urolithin A is essentially upgrading your body's cellular power grid, giving your body the energy it needs to optimize. I've been using MitoPure for a few months now, and what I can tell you is there is a noticeable change in the way my muscles re-energize after I use them. What that means is, say I'm involved in some intense activity in the gym or maybe some sporting activity. Normally, the next time I did it, my I would be you know kind of tired. I, I would be sort of gassed out. That doesn't seem to happen with this. Um, and all I can imagine is because my mitochondrial grid has essentially been upgraded. It's not just my muscles that are getting upgraded. It's all the other cells in my body because they're all powered by mitochondria. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Ageist. Use the code Ageist at checkout and save 10% off your first order of MitoPure. The second sponsor of today's show is Element, spelled L-M-N-T. Element is an electrolyte drink that contains the exact ratios of the electrolytes sodium, magnesium, and potassium to optimize our cellular functioning for mental and physical performance. Most of us understand that, you know, we need to stay hydrated. But what a lot of people don't realize is just pounding water isn't going to cut it. In order for our cells to function properly, they need sodium, potassium, and magnesium in the right doses. Element has perfected the balance. Now, of course, people with prehypertension or hypertension need to be careful about their sodium intake. But for most of us who are mindful about eating clean, unprocessed food most of the time, we may not be getting enough sodium, potassium, or magnesium. That's why I drink a packet of Element each day. If you'd like to try Element, go to drinkelement.com slash ageist, that's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash ageist, and receive a free eight-serving sample pack with any purchase. Let me know what your favorite flavor is. I'm, I'm into citrus salt. What's yours? I want to remind everybody that just after my conversation with Dr. Dave Rabin, where we're going to learn all about the Apollo Neuro, he's going to explain it to us, um, we're going to have that little fortune cookie, that little tidbit that we put in every show called Just Try This. So stay tuned for that after my conversation with Dr. Dave Rabin, and let's give Dave a call right now. Hey, Dr. Dave, how are you today? Not too bad, Dave. It's nice just to be here with you. It's, I'm so excited to, there's so many things that I want to learn today. Um, so uh, before we get started, tell everybody a little bit about your background. Uh, sure. So I'm a board certified psychiatrist and neuroscientist. I specialize in uh, treatment resistant mental illnesses with a focus on trauma and um, mood disorders and addiction, um, really focusing on wearable and non-invasive technology, non-invasive and minimally invasive tools that can help us to make small, relatively small changes that make big changes in the long term for us in our day-to-day -day lives through practice and integration. Um, and those, of course, include wearable technologies like Apollo, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, um, and intensive other kinds of intensive psychotherapy programs that have come out as being very useful to healing over the years. And uh, my focus and interest has always been on primarily chronic stress. And so that uh, study of chronic stress and resilience and how we heal, longevity, how we live long, healthy, happy lives has always been of interest to me. Um, and of course, consciousness and the way we think and make meaning about the world and how it relates to living long, healthy, happy lives has, of course, um, been at the top of my interest list. And so that led me to um, develop the science behind the Apollo technology at the University of Pittsburgh from 2014 to 2018. And I'm now the, and I have served over the last few years as the co-founder and chief medical and chief innovation officer of um, Apollo. And also I'm the executive director at the Board of Medicine, which is a nonprofit that helps to uh, effectively educate and democratize information around um, unregulated substances and medicines and technologies that are available for healing, but aren't taught about. Um, you mentioned um, stress and chronic stress. Um, talk to me a little bit about how does that actually affect us? Oh, it affects us a lot. It affects us every day, much more than we think. Um, because I think that, you know, I think the simplest way to think about it is that our nervous system 
well, you know, one of my favorite quotes from a movie is, is from the, uh, the matrix where, uh, Morpheus, Lawrence Fishburne and, and, uh, and Neo are facing off in the martial arts dojo. And, um, you know, Morpheus turns to Neo and says, you know, in, in the matrix, there are some rules that can be bent and others that can be broken. And it's up to us to kind of test the, the laboratory and, and experiment and figure out which are, which rules are which. So we don't, you know, we can make the most of our experience without putting ourselves in, in danger. And so, you know, I, th- I think of this as being very reflective of the way the body works. There are certain rules that can be bent and there are certain rules that can be broken. And the ones that we know about that are like the hardwired rules of the body uh, are rules that can't be broken. And so those are like the autonomic, the rules of the autonomic nervous system, which is this fear and safety system, which we call the sympathetic parasympathetic system, sympathetic, meaning the system that responds to threat and particularly survival threat and helps us to increase heart rate, increase blood pressure, increase breath rate, and increase resources to skeletal muscles and motor cortex and fear center to get us out of a survival threatening situation and into safety. And then when we're in the safety situation, safety activates the parasympathetic rest and digest recovery nervous system that we often think of as the vagal system. And that system sends resources like blood flow back to the reproductive system, the digestive system, the immune system, the sleep and recovery system, and all the other parts of our body like and brain, like the empathy system that we don't want to be active when we're running from a lion, but we do want to be active when we're resting and recovering. And so understanding the innate fundamental balance of those two systems is critical because chronic stress every day, stress every day, stress times time, chronic stress, right, equals a uh, a, a active overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system to divert and take resources away from recovery. So all of those systems that we rely on to recover, to make sure we have energy when we want it, to make sure that we're able to function reproductively, to fight off illness, to digest our food and absorb it properly and absorb our nutrients and make good use of them and be empathetic, loving, caring human beings. All of those systems get their resources taken away when we're under chronic stress. And we see that behaviorally and we see that in the disease processes that develop from chronic stress, but that's the bare bones of what's happening. Um, Talk to me about, you mentioned the disease processes of chronic stress. Give me some examples of what would happen to someone under long-term chronic stress. Lots of things. So depression, anxiety, you know, on the mental health side, depression, anxiety, insomnia, um, irritability, mood, big mood shifts. Um, These are the first signs that we see. Fogginess of thinking, difficulty thinking, difficulty feeling, feelings, um, seeking desire to, to numb ourselves. So doing behaviors that engaging in behaviors that would result in numbing ourselves to our feelings, instant gratification, gambling, um, you know, addictive, compulsive, working, even video games, drugs, alcohol, smoking cigarettes, all of those things are symptoms and signs of uh, illnesses manifesting from chronic stress and because the chronic stress is overstimulating us. And so when we feel uncomfortable as a result of it, even if it's just mentally or emotionally uncomfortable, we try to seek relief from that. So many of us actually can overcome chronic stress and, and become stronger as a result of it because stress is everywhere and it will always be there. The question is, you know, how do we look at it from the perspective of growth rather than suffering? And if we can look at it from the perspective of growth, then we can actually change the outcome of the situation. So it doesn't mean just because we're stressed out every day that we're doomed to be depressed or we're doomed to have PTSD or other illnesses like cardiovascular disease or diabetes, type 2 diabetes or um, obesity or you know chronic pain. All of these illnesses, physical illnesses as well, correspond to chronic stress states. But that's when we don't, that's when we don't deal with the stress well. That's when we look at the stress and resist it or don't tackle it or don't get to the source of it. When we actually look at the stress as a signal that something is a, is awry or something's not right. And we need to go back and figure that, that out and deal with it and look at it as a growth opportunity. Then all of a sudden we can start to transform what might be long-term suffering from mental or physical illness on one hand into actual tremendous growth and success as human being. Is there a metric that you're using to measure stress? I mean, some people talk about heart rate variability, um, what, what do you look at? If someone says they're stressed, okay, 
That's one thing. It's another thing to say, like, here's this number. Um, is, is there such a thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to use a combination of things, right? So, you know, as a psychiatrist, for the most part, I just use my bot, I use my senses, I use my eyes, my ears, you know, I look at somebody's body language, I look at where their shoulders are being held, I look at how much they're sweating, I look at their eyes and where their eyes are, are diverting and looking to, and all of these things, and their t- the tone and tenor of their voice, right? All of these things are telltale signs of whether somebody is stressed or not. Um, when you want to start getting into actually objective measurements that you can track over time, the things that tend to be most useful that we look at are resting heart rate, blood pressure, um, respiratory rate, your average breath rate. Um, and then your HRV is a great one, which is a derivative of heart rate. So as your, for those who don't know HRV, it's heart rate variability, which is the rate of change of our heartbeat over time. And so we can use that as a metric to understand how adaptable the body is. And it's probably the most reliable metric to date of, of recovery, which is therefore, you know, representative of how adaptable we are at any moment. So if our HRV is low, that means our resting heart rate is typically high and there's less variability between each beat, which means when stress comes, our body's slower to respond. And then when stress is gone and we're in safety again, our body's slower to recover. So we want to optimize HRV. We don't know what the peak is. The peak could be infinite. We don't, nobody's ever peaked HRV, but we know that we want it to be trending up over time. So it doesn't mean you should go and look at your HRV right now and, and look at it and just say, oh, well, that's 20, 40, 60, whatever. That's, that's low. Is there something wrong with me? That's not what that means. Um, but measuring it over time and seeing, oh, my HRV from my Aura Ring or my Apple Watch has been you know, in the twenties for the last week, but before that it was 40 or 60 and now it's down. That means that we're not recovered this week. And so we need to take it easier on ourselves. I, I believe there are also, um, there's pretty good data on all cause mortality, um, and HRV. There is. Yeah. Because it's a general, it's general adaptability, right? So cognitive, physical, mental, cognitive, mental, emotional, right. Uh, and physical, we're all talking about adaptability on the whole. So this means our ability to make decisions rapidly that would ensure our safety, right? So, you know, for example, if your HRV is low, and we've seen this a lot in the elite athletics world and the military world in terms of human performance studies, if your HRV is really low or it's low for you, like it's at 50% of your normal or 20% of your normal resting HRV, then you probably don't want to push yourself and do a really hard workout that day. Right, you don't want to send that person out to be first line in a in a deadly mission because the chances of that person making a mistake it doesn't matter why, but the chances of that person making a mistake are much higher because their body has not fully recovered. Yeah, I, I track track. I'm one of these. People, I like tracking, so I track my HRV every day, and so I, you know, if it falls a lot, it's um, it's like okay. Time for the sofa. <laughs> yeah. um, but, or more or more sleep or some deep more breathing sleep. exercises yep. or yoga, right? You could still work out and still use your body, but just doing it in a gentler way. Sleep is the single best way we improve HRV, but second to sleep is deep breathing and yoga and things like mm. that, right? Soothing touch, getting a massage can be really helpful, right? Things like that can be really great to amplifying our recovery process. So you mentioned touch. And so now I, I want to talk to you about vibration and your interest in vibration. Um, let's, let's start with that. Where, where did that come from? Well, we were trying to, you know, w- working in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh, we were treating a lot of people, a lot of whom were veterans, a lot of whom were struggling with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but also insomnia, addiction, depression, anxiety symptoms, lots of things. And many of these folks were coming to us already taking anywhere from three to 15 medications and without without getting to remission, without having their symptoms, you know, significantly addressed. And so it started to, you know, thinking about PTSD and what PTSD is, which is a, a post-traumatic stress response, right? It's our bodies that remembering a a reaction to a stressful situation and then carrying that with us on an extended long-term basis that 
we could potentially reprogram that process. Because if you look at the studies of animals, which have been extensive over the last 100 years, and also humans, it's shown overwhelmingly that with the right kind of training, like cognitive behavioral therapy with exposure, treat exposure, or you know, prolonged exposure, some people call it, that we can actually recondition old fear pathways. We can reteach them and retrain them. Um, and this is, again, thinking about what's hardwired you know, and what's not. We can't break these rules because these rules about retraining this part of the nervous system, the threat and fear versus safety responses, sympathetic and parasympathetic, go back hundreds of millions of years, like long pre-humans. So these, these are rules that cannot be broken. But what we can do is we can bend them by learning how to train them, right? We can learn how to train our bodies to function better. Um, and we can therefore train our bodies to respond and recover from stress better. So there's a lot of, of tools that allow us to do that, one of which is soothing touch. And so I was really interested in looking at touch because touch is free. We can apply it to ourselves. We can apply it to each other. It doesn't require a lot of skill, um, but it does require a positive intention that's an emo, you know, that is a, a sharing of, of love, a sharing of kindness, a sharing of affection, human connection, right? There's some kind of positive intention that creates and, and fosters and cultivates a sense of safety around this experience of loving touch. And it doesn't have to be sexual. In fact, I'm talking about, for the most part, non-sexual intimate touch that's just connecting, holding hands, getting a hug, right? So these kinds of, of, of sensations are potently activating and, and by act of the parasympathetic nervous system. So they dramatically calm the body. And when they, and they can do it within seconds without effort on part of the person receiving the hug or receiving the handhold. And so this always fascinated me. And so over time we started to, and music has a way of doing this too, with certain musical rhythms. And, and so this has a, had a, always, I was always fascinated by this change in sensation and experience from these very quick, very brief experiences with music and touch. And so, that led us to study vibration, which is effectively music in a very low frequency range that's composed for the skin and, and how the skin responds to, to sound. And so that resulted in the development of Apollo, which is what you see here, that is the first technology that actually boosts HRV using vibration by inducing cardiorespiratory resilience or, ry or rhythmic states in the body, resonant states, which are called coherence by many people. Um, so this is something that is, again, not unique to Apollo. You can do this with touch and you could do this with music. And, but vibration was the combination of those two that allowed this to do the, to do induce coherent states in a wearable. And as you were studying this, what, what was the outcome you were looking for? I think the main outcome was to reverse the negative effects of stress, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about stress as being sometimes being positive and helping us grow and sometimes being negative and that it hurts our performance and it hurts our recovery. We were looking at, okay, well, what happens in people who are negatively stressed out? They're experiencing the negative uh, uh, events related to stress consequences. And then can we reverse that? So the first experiment was taking, a, uh, taking the vibrations and applying them to somebody in a healthy, healthy person, people in a lab that's electromagnetically and soundproofed, and we're measuring their brain waves and their and their cardiac rhythms and their respiratory rate and their heart rate and their uh, HRV and their sweat through their through their skin and their eye eyeball movements and dilations and their physical movements all at the same time, measuring all these things at the same time in a very carefully shielded and protected room to prevent interference, and then giving these people Apollo vibrations or placebo or no no vibrations when nobody knew what they were getting, totally randomized and double-blinded, and then watching how they respond under, under cognitive stress. So under a task that is so challenging, but, but simple enough, but challenging that when they get stressed out, their performance tanks. And so we saw that when we gave this task, which is a very well-known task called the PACE Auditory Serial Addition Task, or the PACE at, that when you give this task, which is adding single-digit numbers every two seconds for three minutes straight, that after about a minute, no matter how good you are at math or how bad you are at math, almost everybody gives up and their performance just tanks. And so when you apply Apollo, you actually reverse that response. You apply these vibrations to the body, the body calms down, HRV goes up within that three-minute time frame. And when HRV goes up, cognitive performance goes up 
in a directly proportionate way to to HRV. So we see, and then and then people's reported stress during the task precipitate precipitately comes down, right? So stress is coming down, HRV as HRV goes up, and cognitive performance goes up as HRV goes up and as stress goes down. So this is consistent with what we know about how the autonomic nervous system works with HRV, which is that as we do deep breathing or as we do things that boost HRV, our performance goes up. But this is showing that you can actually induce that state using vibration in just three minutes in a in a lab. So this is um, this was a one-off of using an Apollo device. This wasn't someone who's been trained on it over time because I, I I read the directions. It's you're meant to use it for thirty days uh five days a week three hours a day something like that that's that's just what our recommendation based on what we've seen from the be- people that get the best results in the data um people use it any way they want but that's just what we've seen get the best results the study that i described to you came long before we ever knew about the usage because we didn't have a wearable so it was actually us just delivering the vibrations to people with a subwoofer device that vibrates at those exact frequencies that the wearable delivers to the body. So, so this was testing in a lab before there was a company, before there was a wearable in 40 people that were healthy people just coming in off the street and then participating in this stressful, very stressful task. And then watching what happens to their performance, their brain waves, their heart rhythms, their breath rhythms. And what was interesting, in addition to what I told you earlier, is that not only do we see these reliable performance improvements in people, in just three minutes and with HRV improvements, but we saw that they were in the same direction, which makes sense. And then we also saw that the performance improvements were up to 25% in some people. You think about 25% more questions right on a test means to most people. That is like two and a half letter grades, right? That is the difference that stress can make to your performance on a test if you have test anxiety. I was one of those kids with test anxiety. You know what I would have done to get 25% more questions right in my test? I would have done some deep breathing had I known, you know? Um, let's talk about the the vibrations themselves. Um, so um, you were nice enough to send me an Apollo Neuro and I've been using it for a little while. And so there, what what is coming out of this device? What What is the, how did the, the frequencies, they seem to go up and down. There's, certain um intensities what you got going on there so it's so it's sound waves that are composed for our skin is the easiest way to think about it so our skin our ears have sound receptors that receive sound at what we call the audible range so this is in the average person something like around 200 hertz to to 20,000 hertz so everything that is in that range of vibrating at a rate of 200 times a second in the average person's ear. It can go lower, but usually it's about 200 times a second in the average person's ear of an adult to 20 to 20,000 or 18,000 times a second vibration, physical vibration, literally doing vibration that many 200 to 20,000 times a second. That's what our ears perceive, right? Anything below or above that, not the ears don't really pick it up. You start to look at the skin and touch in the skin, the skin responds to basically 200 times a second and below. So as you start to look at the skin, what we saw was, and anybody who's been to a show or stood next to a loudspeaker or heard an amazing bass player play it in a live concert knows that the bass frequencies are actually felt more than they're heard in a lot of cases. And that feeling of the vibration in the body is actually very powerful. Um, in terms of augmenting and altering physiology. So we've actually seen this in, and this has actually been published on, not necessarily with live bass players, but with vibration frequencies by many other groups before us. People were onto the idea that vibration delivered to the body, either the whole body or parts of the body can induce different states in the body, more sympathetic, more parasympathetic. So we really took all of what we, what had been known, which was a limited amount at the time, but enough to get us started. And then we figured out that what are that the rhythms of the body are actually known also the ideal rhythms of the body are are known by the studies of the skin receptors we know what the skin touch receptors like to feel that feel soothing we know how they respond to soothing touch that's well known and there's about set five to seven skin receptor neurons that can receive that information five different kinds 
that receive that information and send it up to the brain as soothing touch. And then there's also the um, the way that the that the body responds to um, uh, the emotional experience of the touch, right? And so, and how the rhythms of the body change between the heart and the lungs when we enter into these states of what we call coherence or resonance, which is well known from the biofeedback literature to be somewhere between five and seven breaths per minute. So when you combine all of that together and then put that through the Thomas Edison method of, of, you know, thousands of lab tests, right. And studies until you, you get it right. Then you, you eventually get something that changes the body. And then when we experience that, that became the, vibration pattern that kind of set the framework for the way that we designed the Apollo waveforms to put them into the trials. Um, but there's somewhere between, you know, to go back to answer your question, there's somewhere between one and 200 Hertz um, that, that activates the skin in a soothing way that helps people get into these ideal states more easily. So um, I noticed on the app on my phone, there's um, maybe six or eight different modes Um and it, is each one of those modes a different frequency designed to do a certain thing? Yes, just like music, right? So if you think about the way that music impacts us, we do, we listen to certain kinds of music when we're dancing and when we're on long drives and when we're working out in the gym and we listen to other kinds of music when we're trying to meditate and fall asleep. And we typically wouldn't want to listen to sleepy music when we're on long car rides because we fall asleep behind the wheel, right? There's certain, and we wouldn't listen to workout music when we're sleeping because we wouldn't be able to sleep. So there's a certain energy that is comes from the rhythm and the combination of notes and melody in the music that then transfers that energy from the music into our ears and then into our brains and into our bodies. There's actual neurological path there that's hardwired as well. And so when we administer these different patterns to the body, like with music for your ears, you can shift the intensity and the and the rhythm up or down in very specific ways to either give the body a little more energy or give the body a little more focus or the mind mind body a little more focus or give the body a little more creativity or a little more calm or a little more sleepiness or what have you and so the apollo is broken down into the basic seven goals that most people have each day which are energy or which is kind of like espresso um, social and open, which is kind of like a creative social flow, um, like a glass of champagne, hanging out with your friends. A lot of people liken it too. clear and focused is kind of like an amphetamine experience. So it's intent or stimulant. It's intense, deep, sustained focus on one thing. Not as so good at, not so good at switching. Rebuild and recover is great after workouts for recovery and just settling the body back, to, the mind back down to the body. Um, like taking a minute of deep breaths, for instance, the meditation mode is like five minutes of deep breathing. It's great for deepening meditation and, and inducing a state of, of fairly deep calm, not as good for socializing. And as we get down below, below, below meditation mode, these modes become less good for socializing, more good for internal self-reflection, internal deep relaxation. Relax on a wine is kind of like a glass of whiskey or a cannabis indica. A lot of people liken it to that feeling. Using, using it before bed helps wind them down very nicely. And then sleep and renew is for deep restorative sleep. And so the app is set up to be able to not require you to turn these on all the day, all day, but actually to schedule them. So you can schedule each your whole day out based on the rhythm you want. I want to wake up at seven. So I have Apollo wake up at seven. And then it keeps me focused and energized in the nine through 11 time period before lunch. And then it keeps me focused and calm after lunch. So I don't get my post-lunch slump. And then it winds me down at the end of the day and helps put me to bed at night. And so that rhythm I maintain throughout every weekday, and I have a slightly different rhythm for my weekends. I, I feel as though um, Michael Bay uses a version of this in his films, but there it's about like making my amygdala go nuts, <laughs> right? Like I think <laughs> listening to you talk about like vibration and signaling, I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is this is the opposite. It's right. This is the to combat the nutty amygdala going off too much. This is really to give right. more more boost to the emotional cortex that says, "Hey, amygdala, you can settle down. We're not actually under threat right now," and that restores a lot of our energy back to us. Um. So I've been the most noticeable thing I've 
seen with me using it is that um so i use it as i try, I try and use it like all the time um i'm good at following directions so you told me to use it all the time so i'm gonna use it all the time um but i use it um so before i go to sleep i, I just put it in sleep mode but the most useful thing i find dr dave is that if i wake up in the night and i gotta go use the bathroom then i just go back and I know you're not supposed to look at your phone in the night, but whatever. I just look at my phone and I go back and I hit sleep mode and then I go to sleep. Like there isn't this, which I find fantastic. Like <laughs> there's not all that like rolling around. Well, maybe I'll go to sleep. Maybe I won't. I'm worried about whatever. No, I just go to sleep. And yep. I think that's tremendous. That's one of the most common uses of the device because our bodies are still in sleep mode. You know, our bodies still want to go back to bed when we get up to use the restroom. But oftentimes our minds can take off thinking about work or thinking about work from before or any number of other things, right? And so it's up to us to be mindful of that and to remember to bring our minds back into our bodies, but we often forget. So if you just turn your Apollo back on in the middle of the night, that's one of the main uses that people have of it where they just quick, relatively quickly, as little as, you know, five or 10 minutes can fall back asleep right away. And you think about how much more sleep you get each night just by doing that alone. What's one, one trick I'll give you that this is actually one of the big reasons why we did this to the device is we made the buttons control to, we made the buttons to control the, and restart the last mode vibe you were already using. So you don't need, even need to open your phone in the middle of the night. When you wake up in the middle of the night, and you want to restart your Apollo, you can literally just reach down, tap both buttons, and it will restart on the sleep mode again, the last mode it was on. Uh, tapping the buttons on the device itself. Yep. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Yeah, no screen, no screen needed and no phone needed. You can literally use it entirely without your phone around. Um, are there any dangers to this technology? Or do you have critics who are saying, you know, Dr. Dave, what are you doing here? This doesn't make any sense. You know, what are, I'm, I'm sure there are those people out there. What are they saying? I mean, I think people who haven't tried it will always be critical and judgmental because they don't understand what it is because there's never been a technology like this that is wearable that we've ever had access to. This is really the first of the Gen 3 wearables that are wearables that actually change the body. And it's the first one to use sound in a scientifically validated way to change the body and change the way we feel and improve our ability to sleep and focus and re recover from stress. Um, which is kind of a big deal. And it's also a little bit paradigm shifting for the way that we think about mental health. But when everybody tries it, when people try it, they get it because it's it's palpable. Do you know what I mean? It's like a very tactile uh, connecting experience because you feel it. And when you feel it, your body, our bodies are evolved to enter into these states. So when our body feels it, unless you're in a perfectly blissful state, when you first put it on, you might not notice anything. But if you are at all out of balance, if you're too tired and you're trying to be awake or you're too awake and you're trying to be sleepy, right? As soon as you put Apollo on to help you nudge you into one state or the other, you will ultimately notice it because like music, it is tapping into this very old hundreds of millions of year old touch pathway that is hardwired. Um, so our, we can resist it, but our bodies know what they want to do. So, so I think that the nice part about Apollo and you know, why we developed it the way we did is because we wanted to give people who are vulnerable, uh, you know, like children, pregnant women and elderly folks who don't, and veterans who don't have uh, the who don't always get the benefits that they want from drugs and pharmaceuticals to have other options. You know, if we could give people something that they can take out of the office, you know, it's just, then they can start the healing process and, and maintain it on their own at home without requiring a lot more touch points in the care pro process. There's not enough Dr. Dave's to go around, you know, there's not enough physicians and care providers to go around in general. So the more that we could give people some of those benefits to take home, then the more accessible we make healing. Right. And so that was a big part of it. So that we chose sound waves and a range of, of sound waves that are not harmful and have never been demonstrated to be harmful in all of the scientific literature that has studied these kinds of waves. No one has ever found them to cause harm. We made it in a device that has no screen that gives you no data. So you can't cause data fatigue to yourself. And we put it in a box that has airplane mode so that you can turn off the radios if you have EMF sensitivity. And we made sure that children are able to use it 
with even without a phone and that elderly folks and pregnant women can use it even though they might not be able to take medication. So it was really aimed to be something that was safe for, you know, relatively all ages and all parties. And, um, and so, you know, I think that when people ultimately try it, they realize that this is, you know, as my mom would say, can't hoy. So the device has been out for a while. What do you, what after like two, three, four months of usage, say I decide, say, I don't want to use my Apollo Neuro anymore. I'm just going to go to bed. Will I not be able to go to sleep or will I, what's the, how does this like, you know, like with a drug, if I stop doing a drug, as you said, the, the, the symptoms return, right? Right. What happens with this device? So we, we've actually studied this, um, which is very interesting. And, you know, we wanted to study this because I'm an addiction psychiatrist by training. And so we wanted to make sure that we actually understood what the behavior long-term with the technology was. And so we did a huge study with 1500 people looking at their aura ring data, this guy, um, before, during, and before, during, and after using Apollo for as much as one year of data prior to ever receiving an Apollo to sometimes two years of data after receiving an Apollo. So it's in 1500 people, this is like billions of data points. So we have a tremendous amount of, of information about what happens to the body. And what we've seen is that just adding Apollo to your life, just adding Apollo to your life in these, in these folks, in which it, no matter how you use it, it statistically significantly improves your sleep quality and duration, right? That's all you have to do. Just adding it to your life, people have a boost. If you use it, it seems there are people, of course, who have much bigger boosts. They have much bigger outcomes. And these people are people who tend to use it three hours a day or more, five days a week or more. And they are seeing, it's from the from the first analysis, they're seeing 25 more minutes to 30 minutes more sleep a night. They're seeing um, 11% increases in HRV over the course of, th- this is over three months since you mentioned the three to four months, right? So over three months, you can expect to see if you use this three hours or more a day, five days or more a week, 25 more minutes of sleep a night, 11% improvements in HRV, 4% reductions in resting heart rate, and 19% as improvements in deep sleep, 14% improvements in REM sleep over the three-month time period of using this consistently, which is, so everybody understands, this is comparable to what we see from doing other vagal toning, parasympathetic toning exercises like yoga, deep breathing, meditation, mindfulness, good, healthy amounts of exercise, 30 minutes a day for the same 8 to 12-week time frame. These are the kinds of results we see. So the parasympathetic story is there. It's, it's comparable to that. What's interesting is that it's not tolerance building. So when you, so it's like, it's more like exercise than, and like breath work than it is like a pill. As you start to do deep breathing, it might take more time to notice the effects. It might take a little bit of practice, but you start to, it starts to get easier the more you do it. And you start to become sensitive to the feeling of, of being in a meditative state. You start to recognize it more quickly. It starts to become more apparent to you and you start to get the benefits from it by doing less. So it's called a sensitization process. This is what happens with touch. This is what happens with CBT, with exposure therapy, where you take somebody and you retrain their brain to feel safe around things that used to make them feel afraid, right? So this is, is called neural retraining or sensitization and it's the opposite of tolerance. So with medications, which are taking something artificial from outside of the body and putting it in, then we're taking, we're telling the body's normal process to, to suppress. We're telling the body's normal process, like with an opioid or benzodiazepine sedative, right? You're telling the body, don't receive GABA to this part of the brain that, and so this part of the brain forgets what it feels like to be anxious. And so instead of building tolerance to anxiety and stress, it actually builds intolerance. So it becomes more sensitive to stress. And when you stop taking the sleep aid or you stop taking the benzodiazepine or the opiate, all these inf- this incoming information floods the brain. The brain's like, what the hell is this? We were calm and quiet up here before. You know, Where's all this information coming from? And that's what induces a lot of the cognitive side effects of the withdrawal from medication. So this, on the other hand, is, is, a, is a retraining tool. It's not a... It's not a depressant. It's not repressing or suppressing or depressing thoughts or thinking. It's actually expanding awareness and increasing attention control. So 
over time, if you stop using it, you still have the benefits of it. It's still trained your body to function better. And the, and it's, but, and you may not, and your usage pattern of it may change over time. You may not continue to use it the same with the same frequency as you used it or intensity that when you used it, when you first started using it after three months, but most people keep using it for, you know, weekly or, um, you know, or every few days for on, on a schedule for an extended period, because it helps. I've been using it for four years on, you know, on and off, mostly on, and I can tell you that my personal efficiency has increased tremendously, you know, and I'm still sane and I'm working on like running a medical practice and co-running a company and running a nonprofit and working on interviews and podcasts and all these things. And, you know, I probably increased my personal efficiency by 20 to 25% easily. And my sleep, I'm sleeping, you know, deeply well every night. Um, and again, I'm, I'm still sane. So there's something for that. <laughs> so, uh, so if I stop using it, I'm not going to go back to baseline where I was before. I mean, eventually over time, if you don't keep up any of your healthy practices, uh-huh. right? Just like with exercise or breath work or uh, yoga, yes. right? If you don't keep up your healthy practices and you stop, you know, just like that, eventually you will go back to where you started. We all do go back to where we started eventually. If you don't, you know, you're saying if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So that's very real. But the point is that you can continue on the upward trend over time just by keeping this on, which requires basically no time. Whereas with yoga or exercise, the other things, sometimes we miss days and sometimes we get too busy and that's okay. You know, we're all really busy people and we all have a lot of responsibilities. So, so what about, a, um, I'm just curious if you've tested this in a situation of um, not chronic stress, but um sort of momentary acute stress, like athletic performance. So mm-hmm. if, if someone is in, um, you know, doing something athletic or something that requires a lot of, you're, you're, you're full sympathetic, right? You're full on. Um, have you tested this? Is there some data on that? So we've tested it in, so, so I think there's an interesting, it's interesting that you describe athleticism as requiring full sympathetic. Because I think this is a very common misunderstanding. Okay. Because athletics, athletic pursuits are not survival threats, right? They are replicating some of the adrenaline milieu and the, and the norepinephrine and all of this biochemical experience of a very intense, physically demanding activity. But it's not a survival threat. Mm. So if we if we allow our survival threat situation, you know, sympathetic to fully take over and we say it's fully sympathetic, then you're also going to get the anxiety. You're also going to get the, mm. the shallow breathing and you're going to get the tunnel vision, right? We don't want to have tunnel vision when we're on the field. We want to have broad vision, mm-hmm. right? So the broad vision comes from parasympathetic vagal tone, the calm, regulated decision-making and thinking creatively, which is also important, comes from vagal and parasympathetic tone, right? So it's not just about, it might be dominantly sympathetic so that you have all the blood, most of the blood flow going to skeletal muscles and motor cortex and that kind of thing. But we want a lot of resources still going to the parts of us that anticipate, that create, that think on our feet, that are, you know, have broad, wide vision and wide senses open, right? That's all critically important. Um, but to that, so to that end, you know, I think we, so there is some parasympathetic stuff that needs to come through there. And we have seen that Apollo is helpful. Um, we've seen it in the, in the, the aura ring study that we talked about was long-term and regular healthy subjects looking at long-term benefits. The first study I described to you was the cognitive performance study that was short-term, three minutes in the lab with intense cognitive mental stressors. The study that was just published um, showed that Apollo improves recovery immediately after intense athletic performance. So this is, we've seen pilots of this in the past that have um, demonstrated this, but this is the first published study that showed that Apollo is improving HRV immediately after intense physical performance. We have lots of elite athletes, professional and Olympic athletes that swear by using Apollo um, and elite solo athletes, triathlon folks, and that that you swear by using Apollo in the clear and focus mode, the energy and wake up right before they go into an event. Um, but the majority of people get say that they get the best benefits from using it immediately afterwards on the recovery mode because it helps them wind their body down, reduces heart rate, 
right after the exercise increases HRV, increases performance on the subsequent reps and subsequent intervals, and it helps people by helping people recover faster, and then also helps people get better sleep at night so they recover faster and then are able to do it again the next day. I love the way you've described this. Um, it I don't know if you remember the story of um, when Joe Montana was the quarterback for uh, the 49ers, and they were like in a Super Bowl game. Boy. Right. And so there was like a huddle and he's like telling jokes. Right. It's like the the it's like the last quarter of the Super Bowl. And he was he saying, like, hey, there's John Candy up there. Do you see that? Isn't that cool? And so he's <laughs> he's not full sympathetic. Right. He's just having a good time and he's able to see what you described, the wide, the wide field view. And as I I think about um, I'm doing this crazy thing, Dr. Dave, where I'm. um I'm 64 and I'm in this master ski racing program here oh, wow. in, in Park City, which involves a lot of inputs coming at one very quickly. <laughs> and, but one of my faults is the tunnel vision, right? So, because I'm just like so focused on this thing and I need to sort of expand my view of what's going on. So, tomorrow um, at practice, I will. I'm, I will try this <laughs> and, and we'll see if I can um, see wider. That's wonderful. Oh yeah. Uh, Ski, skiing is another one that Apollo is really great for the clear oh. and focus. The clear and focus mode is like yeah. an excellent ski flow program. I can't wait to tell my coaches about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are you looking for going forward? Is there, more things, more applications of this device, next generation of this device, something entirely new that we don't know about. What are you thinking about? Oh, there's a lot going on. Um, I think the, you know, the main things that we're seeing. So I, you know, I don't know if, if you are aware, but we are uh, Apollo technology is the first wearable technology that I know of to have received an issued patent to reduce unpleasant or unwanted side effects from medicine-assisted therapy, right? So you think about therapy for depression or therapy with for anxiety or therapy with psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy or chemotherapy or dialysis, right? There are a lot of side effects throughout all of these therapeutic processes that make people less, that are, that are related and worsened by stress and that make people less likely to participate in the treatment process because they are not feeling good. And when people don't feel good and they're involved in the treatment process, even if they know that this process is supposed to heal them or help them live longer, they won't do it because it's uncomfortable. Right. And so it's, you know, there's an, an opportunity here for wearables like Apollo to really align with pharmaceuticals to help make them and, and not just pharmaceuticals, but all therapies that we use in medicine to basically help make them more approachable and easier to access, right? And less dose heavy, right? What if you could combine, what if you could figure out where stress and, and, and impact of a medicine meet, right? Like, or stress and the illness meet, because maybe there's certain parts of the illness that are existing in your body that don't seem stress-related and they're just really, really dis uh, dis disruptive. There's other parts where you start to feel stressed or worried and then all of a sudden, there's certain things about your illness that get way worse right away and you know what those are. So imagine being able to reduce some of that a little bit, take the edge off of those stress-mediated responses and eat out the body provides a balance and then you can understand, well, what are we actually treating here? right? How much of the illness that we're treating is stress and, and unregulated, disruptive stress that we can do something about that's non-drug and how much of it is stuff that we can't do anything about. So we need to rely on our pharmaceutical friends, right? And then really looking at the where those meet. And I think that's going to have a lot of impact on the way that we change where, how we address mental health, but also things like chronic, uh, chronic pain and insomnia in particular, because Right now, we're using a lot of sedative and hypnotic and addictive substances to treat those illnesses that are very, very disruptive, that have a lot of side effects that do work for some people, but they don't work for the majority of people. And so we have an opportunity to kind of try to make things a little bit easier for patients by saying, hey, maybe you don't need so much of this medicine. Maybe we can give you other things 
to be ad- what we call adjunctive therapies or combined therapies. And, and Apollo is just the first of what will hopefully be many of these tools that start to change the way we deliver medicine. But I think that you know delivering Apollo as a tool in this way to be a adjunct therapy that's not a medical device also, right? It's a consumer device. Anybody can buy it. Anybody can use it or try it. And anybody can start to you know use it to augment their quality of life in whatever way they think they need that might be helpful and start to address the negative impacts of stress ourselves, which really empowers us as individuals to start the healing process on our own, um, which is the core of where all healing comes from, as we talked about earlier. So I think there's a there's a really exciting opportunity there, e- even right now, just thinking about right near, right now where we are as a society, you know, Apollo has only been out for two years. It launched in 2020. So we still have a tremendous amount of opportunity to explore how these wearable therapy devices can start to, that are for, for everybody, consumers, can start to impact and change health. And then those devices are going to get more personal, Right. So then they're going to start to actually deliver personalized therapy. Right now, we've gotten to a point where those deliver therapy that works for lots and lots of people and it works well. But, um, but imagine you know, a year from now when we're entering into a world where not only are you getting something that's helping you, but you're getting something that's helping you and learning about you at the same time and making you better over right. time, right? Right, right. I can see like uh, combining an HRV monitor with an Apollo, then you, you would dial it in personally. Um, you know, as you're talking here about this, I'm thinking about the effects of COVID, um, especially on younger people. So that, that isolation, that, um, oftentimes lack of touch and the usage now of things of antidepressants, um, Adderall, um, these sort of things, I, it seems to me an, an Apollo neuro device could be very helpful here without some of those side effects. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, this when when I started this work in 2014, we were already a touch-deprived society. And if you look at the patterns of what drugs we abuse most, opiates, benzodiazepines, stimulants, cocaine, cannabis, and more, right? All of these drugs, including psychedelic medicines that are recreationally abused, all of these drugs activate the same parts of the brain that touch activates neurochemically, right? They all do it differently. They're all doing different things in that process, but they're all providing some neurochemical stimulus to the body or suppressing a neurochemical stimulus like an anxiety reaction that is the response of not having enough soothing touch because soothing touch is our number one way that we feel safe quickly, right? It is the swaddling of the child, right? It is the holding of the baby. It's the, we are all, as my wife loves to say, you know, we're all big babies. We're, we're adults, but we're big babies in our physical bodies. Like our bodies still want all the same things they wanted when we were little, little guys, you know, that it's not, it's not different. It's the same. It's just that we've learned to do without, but that doesn't mean that we've, that doesn't mean that that's helping us. It actually may be that learning to do without, because we've learned to withhold love from each other is actually the source of some of most of the mental illness that we face in our society. Right. So you think about like the fact that we're all, you know, especially to everyone out there who doesn't necessarily have the financial means or believe that they have the financial means to embark on a healing journey. I can tell you that the the best things that heal are free. And those are hugs. Those are handholding. Those are taking a moment to deep breathe and just be present with yourself. The expression of gratitude, expression of forgiveness, compassion, love to yourself and others empathy, eye-to-eye contact, non-judgmental listening of your with your friends, your neighbors, your family members, making sure that each of you all know that we're all here for each other and that we're here to listen and to make sure that you know you're heard, right? These are all free and they don't require a lot of training. They do require consent, but they don't require a lot of training, right? So it's it's important to remember, I think, that regardless of whether you buy an Apollo or not, uh, to help you along the way, 
that we have access to a lot of these tools already on our own. And that by doing these things that we can relieve an enormous amount of burden from ourselves as a result of COVID, as a result of social isolation, as a result of just not getting enough touch, right? We need more touch. We need touch in general. I think the recommendation is like, what is it? Five to 10 minutes of hugs a day or something like that. I mean, the number keeps changing, but the point is we need more of it. And ideally as much as we can get, because the more we get, then the more balanced and safe our bodies feel, which means the more able to recover, uh, the more able we are to recover and know that we're safe enough to provide those resources for recovery. Brilliant. Dr. Dave, thank you. Is there is there anything you want to leave people with here? Uh, well, I can... I could just leave you with uh, where you can find me. If anybody wants to reach out, I'm always happy to hear from you. Uh, you can reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Dr. David Rabin, uh, or you can find me on my personal website, which is drdave.io. I do have an active clinical practice in a few states. So if you are looking for care in our states or outside of our states, we're always happy to help, um, whether we can refer you to somebody else or uh, find somebody near you, or if you'd like to work with one of our team, we're happy to help because we know how hard it is to find good care. Um, so we make ourselves available for that. And we also um, have, I'm also pretty active on Clubhouse. Um, we do live conversations nearly weekly around uh, psychedelic medicine, consciousness, and what's going on in the medicine space and the consciousness space on the whole, focus on psychedelics and, and healing. So it's called the Psychedelic Report. And you can check that out at thepsychedelicreport.com. And for anybody who's interested in checking out Apollo, this little guy, um, you can find it at apolloneuro.com, A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. And you can also go to wearablehugs.com. It'll take you to the same place. It's a great URL. (laughs) (laughs) I was so happy when I found that available. (laughs) Wearablehugs.com, everyone. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Dr. Dave, thank you for everything. uh, great device and uh, any kind of technology that keeps people away from those kind of drugs or that sounds like a good thing to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I agree. And you know, the more mindful we can be about it again, no, there's no fault here. There's no judgment. It's really just about holding ourselves accountable and being mindful about our experiences. You know, everybody has an equal ability to get, give, give a hug or get a hug or take a deep breath as we do to go grab the bottle or grab a pack of cigarettes, you know, myself included. So it's really up to us to just be aware of what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're putting into our bodies and how we're dealing with stress so that we can try the best we can to do the things that make our lives better and make the lives of everyone else around us better as well. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Dave, I know you're a busy guy. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, that was wonderful. Dr. Dave Rabin, what a nice guy. And I love that there's something we can do to alter really our our moods, our sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous systems that, you know, you don't swallow. (laughs) You just wear this thing in your wrist. There's no side effects. Um, So again, I just want to repeat, they were so nice um, when we went to them and said like, hey, can you help our audience out? Um, If you're interested in getting an Apollo Neuro, You'll save $40 at checkout if you use the code AGIST when you go to apolloneuro.com. And in just a second, we're going to get with Just Try This. Today's show is also brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the dashboard to your inner health. You know, we talk about this a lot about metrics, what matters, biomarkers. The thing is, you can't take actions on things that you don't know about. And what you don't know about, can hurt you. I use Inside Tracker. I take their ultimate test four times a year. I look at their biomarkers. I see what's moving from quarter to quarter so I can see if I've made changes in my program and my diet. Is there something that I need to adjust? And their food first, supplement second recommendations are great. I always share the results with my doctor. And if there's something we need to go over, we do that. Get a dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com slash ageist. Save 20% on all their products. This week on Just Try This, I'm inspired by a conversation I had a couple weeks ago with my good friend, Dr. Kian Vu. And we were talking about the epigenetic, the cellular effects of experiencing joy. 
and how positive that is on our entire biology. So this week, really simple. Think about something that you can do that you will experience pure joy. It may not be, it's not about achieving. It's not about, you know, crossing something off your to-do list. It's just go do something and experience some joy. Maybe it's singing. Just make a joyful noise. Maybe it's running in the park. I don't know. It's your thing. But go out there and find yourself some pure joy. And for sure, you're going to be happier. And you're probably going to live healthier and longer, too. That's Just Try This this week. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I know that, you know, knowing that all you guys are there and talking to these incredible guests is actually a pretty joyful experience for me. I hope everybody has a wonderful week and we'll see you next week with another great guest. Take care now. 